Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of The Growth Mindset. In this brand new podcast, we'll be tackling everything growth every week. Whether it's growing your business, your career, your skill set, we've got your growth covered. My name is Nadim and I'll be your host for today's episode, Lifelong Learnings in the 21st Century. I am super excited to have this podcast's very first guest, Ahmed Abu Ghosh. Hey Ahmed. Hey, how are you Nadim? Good, how are you? Pretty good. Excited to get started today. It's awesome to have you here. Uh, just for a little context for everybody, Ahmed is the Director of Marketing and Learning Programs at Astrolabs. Can you tell us a bit about what that entails? So I handle marketing at Astrolabs, which entails a marketing, mainly performance marketing for our main products, which are our co-working space, our expansion products, and our learning courses. And I also help with the learning content, mainly around our tech products, such as our data science and coding bootcamp. And you also forgot the most important part is that you're a published author. Yeah, that's true. So guys, Ahmed actually authored his own book called Timeless Digital Marketing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've been working in digital marketing for more than eight years now. So I wanted to write a book that condenses my knowledge into a single work. So that book is basically all of my learning into a written format. And I basically cover everything from how to do marketing for a business, how to get into the marketing field. And I walk through all of the channels step by step. And one of the things that made me want to write this book is because marketing is a topic that changes um, so often, especially digital marketing. So I wanted to write a book that focuses on the principles that don't change very often. And it's actually in more practice, if you want to actually learn these principles, I recommend that you also take our digital marketing course, which is also what this book is also based on. Smooth. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Ahmad is our first guest. All nice. right, so let's kick things off at the very beginning. So we're talking about learning today. As I said, the episode is called Lifelong Learnings in the 21st Century. And we're going to start off at the very beginning. School. So we go to school, we learn. We go to university, we learn. But after we graduate, Ahmad, how do adults keep learning? Yeah, that's a topic that I'm personally very passionate about because usually if you look at learning and education in general, it's usually focused on children, mm -hmm. but there's really not that much research and focus on adult learning. And typically people think about learning in a very linear sense where there's a learning stage of my life. I go to school, I go to high school, I study some degree, some specialization. And don't stray from this path. Yeah, and then eventually I get into a field and I might have to do minor learning here and there, but for the most part, my main learning phase of my life is over. Yeah. However, what we noticed, and especially with everything that we're doing in the digital space, is that learning is an ongoing thing, especially for adults. And it's even in many cases where you actually learn more as an adult mm -hmm. than you would as a child. And this study is known as andragogy. And basically, it's the science of adult learning. And that's what the focus is on that I want to talk about today. And it's mainly around how to think about learning, not in terms of extrinsic motivation, but intrinsic motivation of the learner. Mm -hmm. So focusing on what the learner actually wants to get done, what are their goals, and then tailoring learning based on that. So in a way, it's more of a bottom-up approach to learning as opposed to a top-down approach to learning. Okay, so on the topic of education, Ahmed, when you talk about getting a degree, 
How important is that? Let's say if I, if I wanted to be a programmer, do I need to study computer science? Is that a must? Yeah, it's important to keep in mind how do people get into the workforce? And that's also a big focus of adult learning. So if you actually look at it, and there's been research on this, if someone studies for a degree in a certain topic, it does help them get a job in that field. But what is the reason why that's the case? So if I want to get into computer science, some sort of programming field. It helps if I have a computer science degree in that field. But why is that the case? There was actually research done by a professor called Brian Kaplan, and he found that there are two main things that degrees help you with when you're getting a job. The first one is known as signaling, and the second is the utility of that degree, which is basically what did you learn while you were studying that profession. So what the first one is signaling is, is basically a signal to the employer that this topic, either by showing that you actually studied it for a certain number of years, so you actually spent a portion of your life dedicated to this topic, and it also filters them out in a sense of showing them that you were dedicated enough to work on this field. And it's a prestige thing where it actually shows that you actually spent money and time to actually learn this thing. And some studies have shown that actually 70% or more of a degree's value is based on the signaling of the degree and not what you actually learn. If you think about this, most fields, the actual learning that you do on the job is much more valuable than what you learn in university. Definitely. So even, for example, if you look at a doctor, most doctors, if they study even for five years, 10 years, they're not ready to do surgery right away. They have to first join as a residency. They have yeah. all the special specialties, all of that. Yeah. yeah, and they learn on the job for the most part. Now, of course, there are some fundamental theories and fundamental knowledge that they learn while they're studying. But for the most part, most of the things that they learn are on the job. And this is even more the case for technical specializations like programming. Me, for example, I studied computer engineering and what I learned was important in terms of fundamental knowledge, but I would say in terms of actual programming, in terms of web development or mobile app development, it only accounts for maybe 30% of the knowledge that I had to get. And the other 70 plus percent was done on the job. So in a way, degrees serve as this signal to employers to actually say that you are qualified for this position. You made me think about something. I don't know if you know this about me. We've known each other for a while, but I studied political science in university. Okay. Uh, that was my BA, but my passion was film. So I went to New York and I studied filmmaking. Okay. And when it comes to film, there's a lot of controversy surrounding, should you actually pay money to study that? Quentin Tarantino, who's one of the biggest directors, says, take that money that you're doing to invest in your degree and just put it in an actual movie and learn on the job, learn the experience. There's nothing to really learn per se. But I wanted, I was interested in learning the theory behind film and cinematography and all of that. But the degree, for example, in filmmaking isn't that important, but it does signal, as you said, when you're applying for something, people, it gives you credibility. So actually, I don't know if there's a clear answer or should you get a degree, for example, in film or not. But I guess the advice that I would give, because so many people who love film ask me, should I go to film school? What I tell them is you just have to do what's right for you. There's no right or wrong answer. If you're passionate about learning some theory behind it, do it. If not, get the experience that you can and learn day to day, like you said. And this applies to so many technical fields like coding, programming, all of that. Yeah.
Please continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I just hijacked. Uh, no, no. I, I mean, <laughs> that's a really good point, yeah. honestly. So it ties into something that I was thinking about as well. In that, you still need a signal. So even if you don't want to take a degree in a certain field, you have to substitute that with some other signal. Right. Which, like you said, could be a project that you work on. It could be your own personal brand. Maybe you start a vlog or start a blog. Or, I have a blog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you maybe write a book, like I did, for right. example. Um, but basically, you need to keep in mind that if you don't have that strong signal, you didn't study that field that you want to get into. You have to substitute that with some other signal that employers can look at. And a lot of them don't need permission from anybody. So. For example, I could on my own work on a project on my own. One thing that I tell people is, especially if they want to get into programming, is work on either a open source project, which there are many of that you could work on. Maybe find a friend that has a startup and offer to do his job, his website for free. For example. or helping have, someone out, and you're getting so much experience in the yeah. process. Yeah. Or I mean, even a family member. All of us have an uncle or someone in our family that maybe started a business and they need help with their website. How can you actually get experience without needing to get someone's permission for that? That's and, a great point. And that's the way to get your foot in the door and to basically get that signal without having to actually pay for the degree or to get a job. And it's one of the most common things people ask is, how do I get a job without experience? It's a catch-22 where, yeah, you know, it, you yeah. know it, if I don't have experience, I can't get a job, but I need a job to get experience. So, so create your own experience, exactly. basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what if someone maybe doesn't have a passion or so like how do you know where to focus your learning so what i found is that there are three factors that you should look at in terms of what you should get into as a profession or as a field so the first one is what you're good at so everyone has their own natural talents some people are more outgoing some like to work in front of a computer so basically look at what are you good at secondly look at what do you personally enjoy doing So this is something that you have a passion for. And the third thing is look at what does the job market need? So it's a combination of those three things. What do you have a passion for? What are you good at? And those things are not always the same. Right. I might really like basketball, but I'm not that tall. Maybe I can't play basketball, for example. <laughs> Then looking at what the job market needs. If I'm really good at basket weaving, right. it doesn't mean that there's a high income profession based on that. So I have to look at those three things and then decide based on that. Now, what's interesting is nowadays, a lot of professions are a mix of multiple things. For example, me, I work in marketing and in the tech space and in the learning space. You, for example, work in the um, digital space and the content space. There's also something to keep in mind is that professions nowadays are a mix of multiple fields. And Scott Adams talks about this a bit where he talked about something called a talent stack. One way to think about this is that If I want to be the very best at something, let's say I want to be the best at marketing, I have to compete with everybody in the world at marketing. So let's say there are 5 million people in the world that are in the marketing field. I have to compete with all of them if I want to be the very best in that field. However, if I then layer on top of that other talents that I have, I can then specialize further in that field. You're so creating a niche kind of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. On, yeah. And then... As I create these niches, so maybe I also focus on digital products and I focus on training and learning and I'm doing that in the Middle East, let's say. Right. Suddenly, I'm a lot more competitive in my field because I specialized in three or four different ways and I didn't just have a single focus. And that's also something that a lot of people need to do. And that's also part of why learning as an adult is important because oftentimes I need to layer 
on top of my core expertise, anything else that, that I want to specialize in. And that's how I can create this niche that you talked about. Very cool. So we're talking about knowing where to, what to focus on and what to learn. But what about the ways that people learn, the different styles of learning? For example, learning in group or versus learning on your own. What are the different styles of learning? Tell me about that. A lot of theory has uh, been studied around this topic of what is the best way that people learn, especially as adults. And what I found is that there are four main ways people learn, and it could be a combination of these four ways. So the first way is as a collective, so that could be as a group. The second way is in a distributed way, which is on your own, maybe one-to-one. -one. The third way is a formal way, and the fourth way is an informal way. It's a combination of formal, informed, collective, and distributed that you can learn something. For example, if I look at a formal, collective way, that would be I go to university and I take a degree in something. If I look at a informal, collective way, that could be maybe I join a social group, a meetup, for example, and I learn as a group, but like in an informal club. way. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, if I learn in a distributed way, that could be I just take a course on my own or I read a book or I listen to a podcast, for example. And if I do that in a collective way, that could be maybe joining an online community or some form of online learning group. So there are different ways that people learn. And I found that depending on the topic and depending on your own personal preferences, people have different ways that they prefer learning. I found, for example, that usually technical people, especially programmers, they usually like to learn on their own because right. they like to dive into the field and spend hours debugging. That's but, why there are coding caves. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Going like, solo, yeah. like we have here in right. our co-working space. But then also, if you're getting into the field for the first time, I found that it's actually easier to learn as a collective. So if you're new to programming, for example, most people learn better if they're learning as a group because in the beginning stages, you often get stuck at very simple problems that you don't know the answer to. But if you see someone doing it in front of you a couple of times, then in the future, you'll be able to solve it on your own. But just that first block stops a lot of people from actually learning it. And is there, do you think that one, as people, do we generally tend to steer towards one way or is it more of a mix of match depending on where we are in our journey in life, like you said? I think like another factor is sometimes people for whatever reason, can't learn a certain way, maybe because of their own requirements or their own restrictions in their life. So, right. for example, maybe some people have children or family members that they might have to look out for. So they're forced to do it in a distributed way or learn on their right. own. Others maybe are still struggling financially, so they can't afford certain courses. I think it depends a lot on your circumstances. And again, I would look at what is the uh, thing that you want to learn. And what I found is the best way to actually learn something is to ask someone that is doing what you want to do and right. ask them, how did you learn it? And oftentimes they'll just say, oh, I picked it up on my own. But even that would tell you something about what exact tools did they learn? How did they practice that thing? And what did By they By the way, that on? takes a lot, a level of vulnerability to open up and ask people. Because sometimes you just don't want to admit that perhaps you might not know something or you don't. That's just a good lesson in life for everyone, I think, listening. If you see someone doing something that you love and want to learn, just ask them how they did that. Yeah, exactly. You know? And oftentimes, probably almost every single time that I had to ask someone something, they would tell me. All right, so those are different styles of learning, but what about different learning theories? If you look at it from a, from a learning history point of view, there are two main styles of learning. 
there is what's called behaviorism and there is constructivism. And the difference mainly is that behaviorism is what was made popular by the schooling system, which is basically you have a teacher that teaches you a topic and they're the ones that tell you this is what you should learn. And again, this is like a top-down approach where someone comes up with what you should learn, math, uh, history, social sciences, English, and they tell you this is what you need it's to learn. It's a set and curriculum, you, you just have to learn it. Exactly, and that's how people usually think. It's what people have typically thought about when it comes to learning over the last few hundred years. Now, since the 1960s onwards, there has been a big sh um, shift towards constructivism, which is mainly focusing on the person themselves as the source of what they should learn. So, again, it's taking more of a bottom-up approach where the person themselves is the one that chooses what they want to learn based on their goals and based on their own passions. So, in a way, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier where Adults typically fit in the second category in constructivism because adults usually have some sort of a goal, whether that's getting a job or satisfying some personal need or personal goal of theirs. But when you talk about constructivism, which is something that I've actually never heard of and it sounds super interesting, like why wasn't that part of our schooling growing up? Like why was there always a set curriculum? Why couldn't they focus on the fact that, oh, Nadim is good in the arts, maybe we should focus on that and give him a curriculum that is purely based on his strengths, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of history uh, in that answer, but mainly it was everything ne needed to be formalized mainly because the goal of the educational system in the past was to create productive members of society, mainly to work in factories and for these blue collar and white collar jobs. So it was mainly as this is a standard way that people should learn. and. I think it helped a lot in terms of developing society. So it definitely has its place and it definitely did improve the world by having everyone have basic math skills, basic English skills. And it is much easier to do it that way if you need to educate the entire world. Imagine that you need right. to teach the whole country's population. It's much easier just to if say... If you want to scale. <laughs> yeah, if you want to scale it up. But nowadays we are in a luxury where things are more developed now and we now have more space to think about how can we actually take our own paths in life and i think it's a luxury that we were afforded with the industrial revolution and modern technology and i think maybe in the past it was a bit harder because of how society was i don't know if you've heard of something called montessori of course yeah yeah, yeah. so it's actually based on constructivism um, right yeah. on those theories which is a lot more uh, self-directed learning by the child and a lot more active play and right. free play basically all right so we spoke about work ahmed what about personal projects outside of work how do those keep us stimulated yeah so when it comes to intrinsic motivation of learning there always has to be some end goal in mind if you think about anything that any of us could learn or would want to learn, there always is some reason why we want to learn that. For example, if I want to learn a language, it's because maybe I want to move to a country or maybe I'm married to someone and I want to speak their language. If I want to learn a certain skill, like a technical skill, it's either because I want to get a job or maybe I want to build some kind of a project. Even if it's something that doesn't have a very clear end goal, like I want to learn to play the piano, there's still an end goal of I want to learn to play because I have certain songs in my mind that I would love to play. So there's always has to be some end goal. And I found that it's much easier to learn something if you have that kind of end goal in mind, because 
it gives you something to strive for, and it makes your learning more practical. One of the best ways of learning, especially technical skills for adults, is to actually have this goal in mind and every step of the way, remind yourself, and also it'll tell you what to focus on. Let's take an example. Let's say that I wanna learn programming. Programming is a huge field. I could learn C, I could learn JavaScript, I could learn databases, I could learn DevOps. Where do you I start? Could, yeah, and I could literally spend 10 years of my life learning everything. Mm -hmm. And that's not the right way to learn any topic as an adult. It's a lot better if I have a goal in mind. Either I wanna get a job, so then I'll say, okay, what are employers looking for? Let me learn that skill set. Exactly. Or I have a really cool app idea that I want to build. So I'll have to think about, okay, how can I build that app? What languages do I need to learn? First of all, it's a lot easier because no one can learn everything. Right. And it keeps you motivated to have this intrinsic goal that you're working towards. And it breaks down that whole overwhelming feeling of where do I start? I have a million things I need to learn. So if you just focus on the goals, you'll know exactly what skill set you need. Exactly. Okay, so we talked about learning when it comes to the individual. But what about when it comes to an organization, Ahmed? How do you stay up when it comes to your team? If you're in a marketing team, if you have a tech team, how do you make sure that everyone stays up to date, that the content stays up to date? How do you tackle those challenges? Yeah, so I would say, especially with technical topics and especially in the digital field, it's an industry that is constantly changing. And regardless of what you're in, even if you're in like the medical field or you're a lawyer, everything always changes around us. Like we're in a constantly changing world. So that's also one of the reasons why adults need to keep educating themselves to stay updated in their field and to stay competitive. When it comes to how do you actually learn and what do you learn, I recommend a few different things to think about. So number one is you should always start with the source of your industry. So for example, if I'm doing digital marketing, let's say, I would focus on what the main players are advocating at the moment. I would start first with the company. So I would look at Facebook, Google, mm -hmm. and basically see how they are um, laying out how the industry works. If I was working in the film industry, I would see what are the studios doing at the moment? What are the technologies? The streaming platforms. Yeah, like the streaming <laughs> platforms or what kind of new camera technologies are, are right. out there or what are the different film techniques or, or styles of movies or animation techniques maybe. You're speaking my language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then I would start um, with the source of whatever your field is, number one. Number two is then I would look for individuals or thought leaders within that field. So I would right. look at who are the people that are actually working at the top level in that field, in the marketing field, in the film industry, in the tech field, and, and basically follow them. And nowadays it's so much easier to do that because of social media platforms. A lot of them are posting on Twitter. It's in the palm or of your hands whenever yeah. you want, yeah. So it's super easy. A lot of them have blogs or interviews online, so I can keep following them in that way. Third, and this is probably one that is very important, is to actually do it yourself for you to actually become a thought leader on your own and to actually do it and this is super important because you get to see how your knowledge or the theory turns into practicality with reality right and no matter what the field is this is very important that you constantly stay on your game and constantly are implementing whatever theory you're talking about or whatever your team is doing and even if you're a senior manager it's often very beneficial that you actually get your hands dirty sometimes because that also 
keeps you immersed in the field and it keeps your knowledge current. Oftentimes I found that if a manager doesn't do this, within five or 10 years, their knowledge is outdated. Mm -hmm. They're not in touch with what's happening on the ground. And it's a lot harder for them to make these high level decisions if they don't actually know how things are. Not in the nitty gritty, how can they assess? Yeah. yeah, and especially yeah. nowadays with things changing so fast, and especially with these high moving or, or high frequency fields, digital marketing or programming or any of these fields, things change in a few months, the whole industry can change. So it's important that you keep your hands dirty and always implement whatever you're into. The next level of that is to actually teach whatever you're learning yourself because teaching either to your team or to your colleague can help you cement your knowledge because you realize what gaps they might have. What I found also from teaching our own courses is people that take our courses would come up with problems that I would have never thought about. So then right. it, it lets me think about the industry from a new angle and it lets me actually think about problems that I would have not thought about on my own because my own work is limited in its scope. But someone comes to me from a different field, maybe a different country or a different kind of organization. They bring problems that I would have never thought about. And that makes my knowledge better by hearing their problems and coming up with solutions with them. By the way, what you just said about teaching spoke to my soul because I became a manager this year. And over the course of the last six months, teaching has taught me so much. I'm learning on a daily basis, guiding my team. When I teach, I feel like I'm cementing my knowledge, yeah. as you said. And it's, it's just fascinating to see. You think you're helping someone, but actually you're helping yourself and you're That's learning true. so much more when you teach. There's a quote attributed to Albert Einstein that says, if you can't explain something to a five-year-old, then you don't really understand it. Wow. Yeah, that, so, that's, so yeah. that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. So you've been working at Astrolabs for how long now? Just around seven years. Wow, seven years. And how do you think learning has applied to the organization since then? So definitely it's important within a organizational context to keep in mind that each individual in the organization needs to have their own learning goals and the organization as a whole also needs to learn and become better. All of us here at Astrolabs have our own personal learning goals and we always strive to do better technically and in a personal and on a business level. All of us have these goals and we do things like internal book clubs, for example, where we read books together. We have weekly sessions within teams where we talk about what we learned that week in the field. For example, we do that on the marketing team where we talked about what's new in the industry that week and what did we learn. We also have a book that we read, an internal book club. And then as an organization, we also have this like shared content database that we also keep where right. we share articles, best practices, processes, and systems that we learn. Every month and then every year, we get better by this constant learning, constant note-taking, and looking for patterns. That includes looking deeper at our own data, but then also looking at what did we learn as a team. And then every new person that joins, they get to tap into that and they basically get to step on that foundation to keep their own learning up. But what's good about that is as the organization starts to learn more and more, if someone new joins, they're not starting from scratch. They're starting at the point that the organization is at, which is always getting better and better. So if a manager comes to you now and says that they want their organization to be a real learning organization, what is the number one tip that you would give them? 
I would say keep in mind that you need to focus on your own values and your own goals as an organization and think about what kind of organization do you want to build and then think about within that what are the core skill sets that you need to learn. So for example, maybe it's you need to get better at marketing, you need to get better at sales, at storytelling, at programming maybe, and basically break it down into buckets of categories of things that you need to learn as an organization. And then also part of that would be what are ways to make your processes be smoother. And that also is a form of learning as well. So think about all of those things, both in terms of topics and in terms of processes, and then map that out and have some sort of collective place where you keep all this learning that could be internal site or internal set of documents that you keep or, or database, and just keep adding to it and keep having this content bank grow. So anyone that joins can go through it and learn from everything that you're building on top of. All right. One last question for you, Ahmed. You know that I'm a big fan of movies and series. Do you think we can actually learn through those mediums? Yeah, for sure. I think you can learn both from nonfiction and fiction, definitely. In the nonfiction field, you can learn a lot from just how people approach problems in general. You can see historically how people dealt with uh, certain things. And especially from a human psychology point of view, watching documentaries in your field helps a lot. For example, just interviews help a lot or behind the scenes of certain industries. So for example, if you want to get into filmmaking, you can watch how they made a film and behind the scenes and learn so much I from that. I often find myself on YouTube just you know endlessly jumping from one video to the next. There's so many resources for us these days. Yeah, yeah. All you need is YouTube, honestly. Yeah, and especially even technical fields. Nowadays, you can find streamers that uh, stream themselves programming. So they do code along challenges. So you can actually wow. watch them solve technical problems while they're streaming. And some people might think that it's boring, but you actually learn from them when they take breaks and they actually show you how they look for solutions and, and how they problem solve. And of course, there's looking at what people are producing in that field in terms of content, whether that's videos or movies or any form of nonfiction. But even fiction, I found that it can help you think a lot about how people approach problems. And also, it lets you see things from a new angle. So one example is... I'm a fan of Star Trek. You had to pick the one the show generation. that I've never watched. Okay. The one show that's always been on my list that's a classic that I've never seen. But yeah. yes, please do carry it. <laughs> so Star Trek, The Next Generation is, is probably my favorite show, mainly because it approaches things as if it's an alien race. So oftentimes they'll go to an alien planet and they'll have a problem and they'll solve it in a way that's very logical. And then you'll see... That is it like a metaphor? Kind it's of? a metaphor for, yeah. for our life. So exactly. I mean, one example yeah. is they might go to a planet where one of the aliens is being racist to another group of aliens. Yeah. So you'll think, how silly is that? Why can't they get along? And then why can't we apply that to our own world? Of course, right? it's a parallel to our own world. Yeah. And then even what I also like about these kind of shows is it also shows you how they work together. So they also cover a lot of interpersonal challenges. Maybe someone at work is not working as a team player, maybe. So they'll have disputes about that and, and they'll show you how they solve those problems. Or maybe one of the team members disagrees very strongly and it shows you how they solve that problem. So I do like to watch um, some fiction because it does help you think about it from a new angle. And like I said, all of this leads to building your own talent stack as an adult. Right. 
and every single tiny thing that you learn can always tie back to something else that you can do in your life, whether that be directly or through your own thinking patterns and your own mental models, which can then translate into your own work and your own learning. What I take from this is that watch as much movies and TVs as possible because it's <laughs> going to help you build your talent stack and become more knowledgeable than ever. <laughs> Thank you, Ahmed. I feel like now I want to, I'm ready to go out into the world and just learn. Thanks, Nadim. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us in the first episode of our podcast. We can't wait to have you back soon. Thanks, Nadim. And that's it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the first episode of The Growth Mindset. We'll be back next week with a different guest. And thank you for listening.